There are many stereotypes and prejudices that we have. You're too old to seek knowledge. That's one. I'm too old. I can't study. Or you're too young to be an imam or a scholar. Or you're a race. Or a woman. Very, very important. I've had many students that were females over the years. And I think one of the saddest things that I've seen is not an attack on sisters, but I'm only speaking the truth. One of the saddest things is that most women that study seek knowledge, they fall victim to the stereotype that a woman isn't to seek knowledge. She shouldn't, she shouldn't seek knowledge. You can't, she can't seek knowledge. And when a woman quits the class, drops out of the class, allows some type of scandal or something to take you away from your teacher, you do nothing but fan the fuel of that stereotype. So these are things that, that plague the Dawah scene today. And people thinking, and they don't realize that it's in your head. I can't because I'm from Philadelphia, because I'm too young. Because I come from this lineage, and that's the reality where I come from in America, being black. There's no doubt about that, okay? And that is, that is what pushed certain people to uh, uh, say certain things, which they say, in which a, a person says, I have the blood of a slave, but I have a heart of a king, okay? In other words, no one can form for you what you can and cannot do. You seek Allah's bounty. What's Allah min fadlihi? You ask Allah from his bounty. You seek it. No one can stop you what you can and cannot do. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh dear brothers and sisters welcome to this uh, today's special lockdown edition of the unscripted podcast we have uh, another guest from the United States of America mashallah uh, a uh, person who was known as Mufti from a young age mashallah but he grew into that title hafidahullah uh, uh, may Allah preserve him uh, I was doing a bit of uh, digging on your uh, on your bio, uh, Mufti uh, Muhammad ibn Munir. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So you're you were born in uh, Philadelphia, right? That's correct. East yes, or West, West Philadelphia, to be exact. So, uh, so in West Philadelphia, born and raised. Uh, in that's the library right. is where right. you spent most of your days. That's right. That's right. That's Making a lot. That's right. Yeah. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all. That's cooling, right. That's you know, right. Going that's to right. the masjid outside of the school. Um, when a couple of um, guys uh, <laughs> who up to no good, Allah Mustan, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. came and recruited you from the university. Allah so, Akbar. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So, uh, Mufti uh, Muhammad ibn Mudid, you are uh, he is a uh, graduate from the Medina uh, Islamic University of Medina. Like many of our brothers uh, we've spoken to uh, on this podcast, he um, went to uh, further and he did a uh, master's i believe in the faculty of hadith is that correct yes that's correct yes and um and mashallah at the moment you're back in the united states and you're pursuing a, a phd if, if i'm not mistaken yeah uh, give or take yeah yeah mashallah it's usually always <laughs> any any good phd goes through that period of ah, am i really doing this or not <laughs> uh, yeah 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 I wanted to just get to uh, know you and talk about your dawah and your aims uh, and also you know, just uh, talk about the youth in particular because mashallah, uh, although you are a senior to me in uh, knowledge and in age according to my uh, digging that I did, I think you were born one year before me, 1984. Subhanallah. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. That's right. So uh, you are for the purpose of this podcast, uh, our sheikh uh, and our guest. Uh, but you're still a young person, mashallah. Uh, as am I, alhamdulillah, we're still uh, young whippersnappers. So um, I thought I'd get a, a perspective on you from uh, from you uh, on uh, the youth uh, in particular as well. I'd like to mm-hmm. 
uh, speak mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. that because uh, your your that your brand that you've built, uh, Mashallah Tabarakallah, it, it, it appeals to the young people. Um, and I was just wondering if you you know how you saw yourself as you know um, uh, how you saw rather the the, the dawah to young people and and where where you see your dawah and your activities fitting into that. Clear, clear. Well, um, uh, firstly is uh, thank you for hosting me. Jazakallah khairan, and I honestly okay. mean that. Um, it's an honor to me. Uh, we've never met in person before. You're in a location. I'm in a location. Uh, the Atlantic Ocean separates us. <laughs> Allah knows how many walls, towers, mountains. Yeah, and still Allah Azzawajal allowed us to use the technology. And um, I'm going to take that and I'm going to use that right for your question. Yeah. All right, about us being so far, but at the same time, through technology, by Allah's permission, being so close. Mm. And this is one of the most uh, important guiding principles of my theory, my philosophy, my school of thought, Hadith disciple that you asked me about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that is, um, I like mirrors. All right. I like mirrors. And I like to look in mirrors and I like things to be reflected. And I always try to make examples of things, which is the guidance of the Quran. Mm -hmm. Allah says Those examples we make for men We lay down for men But only the intelligent men can get them mm -hmm. So the uh, example or the parable is, That's one of the uh, consistent themes of the Quran mm -hmm. And the scholars of Islam From those Quranic verses That's just one There's so many different examples Allah talks about the mosquito, the bee, the ant uh, shirk and tawheed, a master of a slave, would you be happy for your servant to have a share of your... So, so many different examples in the Quran, right? Mm. The scholars of Islam, they've extracted from these verses uh, with a, uh, a, a rhythmic statement. They say, بالمثال يتضح المقال بالمثال يتضح المقال Examples make things clear. So, I like examples. I like to use examples. And I've learned a lot from the scholars of Islam who always used examples, right? Yeah. So, uh, Hadith Disciple is like, I would say, I don't want to go too much into history, but it's like uh, the Meiji Restoration. Obviously, towards the uh, the early uh, 19th uh, century, many things happened in Japan. Mm. And uh, not to go too far down the rabbit hole or too, too, too <laughs> deep into the library of history, but we all know the history of, of the different colonizing powers from Europe. They colonized several lands, continent of Africa, parts of Asia, Australia, New Zealand, of course, North America, and the list goes on. And they fought over these different lands, the British, the Germans, the Italians, the French, the Portuguese, the Spanish, of course, a huge chunk of, of the earth, South America, mm -hmm. Central America, mm -hmm. uh, the Dutch, the Danish, so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So um, at this time, China, ancient China, with all of its glory and splendor, it was declining. It was crumbling, all right, through different influences. And the Western powers, they all had a, a major hand in China, okay? Mm -hmm. You had a French section, a Dutch section, this part, so on and so forth. But there was one country that was still considered to be untouched. There was one country that was still considered to be virgin territory, there was one country which was unadulterated and the hands of those Western colonizing powers had not yet grabbed and pulled it apart yet. And that country was Japan. Mm. 
Mm. It was Japan. And Japan considered itself to be, or did not consider itself, in fact, it was extremely xenophobic. Extremely xenophobic. If you thought the Chinese were xenophobic, they did not like Westerners. They did not like outsiders. And they considered those people to be barbarians. Absolutely uncouth barbarians. And anyone besides Japanese was considered to be nothing. This is the reality of the history, okay? So, obviously, there were certain Portuguese traders, explorers, and ambassadors. They went to those islands of Japan briefly. They met with an emperor in secrecy, a shogun in secrecy. But it wasn't like China. It wasn't like mainland China. So, there came a time in which there were different British traders. And they went to the islands and they made an ultimatum. And they said, either you open up your borders for trade. You allow us to come in. You allow us to exploit you like we've done to other Asian countries or we will blast your islands to smithereens. Mm. So obviously, the different nobility from among the warrior class and the ruling class in Japan, they differed on what to do. And one of those emperors, he allowed them in. It was a school teacher. He allowed them in. And they brought him a model of a, of a locomotive, a train, a small toy model. And he was amazed at their technology and what they could do. And he realized that the future, according to him, of Japan and its advancement was to accept the Western technology. And if he did not accept the Western technology and their imposing will, they would end up like China. And it would be taken over and it would be colonized, so on and so forth. Mm. So these, the, these different emperors, these leaders throughout the years, the, this restoration, they came up with a, they came up with a cliché. And that cliche was Western technology with the Japanese spirit. <laughs> Western technology, but the culture, the philosophy, the discipline, the precision of our ancient antiquity. And that is the meeting of the rice paddy with the microchip. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to get to is, I believe one of the reasons why Alhamdulillah has been successful it's because we hold on to antiquity when and where we should. Mm. When and where we should. And we go towards and we accept modernity and progressiveness and the modern, fresh, new stuff when and where we should. Yeah. So that's the whole point of the example is mm. that they accepted people are no longer using swords and bows and arrows anymore for warfare. People are not upon horses and donkeys and mules. Yeah. So we need the, the Western technology. Let's not be that xenophobic. But how we make the stuff, the quality, the honor, that must remain ancient Japanese. Your values. Thank yeah. you. So I think this is one of the problems with Dawa. People, they have a hard time finding a balance. Mm. How do I stay orthodox? Like you said, values in which there is no had on this issue. Yeah. There's no discussion on this issue. But how you deliver it, where you deliver it, does it have to be in this place? We have to talk like this. Do you have to dress like this? No, not at all. So you have to appeal to the world that's changing. Mm. You have to appeal to the youth. And one of the greatest complaints of youth, me being one of them, is that they say the older people don't understand us. Yeah. And they don't want to understand us. They don't care mm. to understand us. And they want to force upon us their ways. Yeah. And one of the greatest sins of the elders, unfortunately, is that which is called taqdisul maldi. Taqdisul maldi. Is the people they annoy or they holify the past oh, right, and they get yeah. stuck in it. Mm. So in this restoration, the major restoration, there were many sacrifices that had to be made. And there were many things that had to be abolished. 
And of course, that emperor, he went through all types of opposition. People that didn't believe, people that thought he was a heretic and he was abandoning their values, but he knew about that locomotive. And he knew the power of that steam engine. Was his name uh, Emperor Mitsubishi? That's from the line. (laughs) Those who produced the cars and the planes. So the the point I'm trying to get to, the moral Mm -hmm. of the story is, from all this kalem, is that uh, we try to merge East and West, old and new. We take the stale and the ancient with the fresh and the new. And I think that uh, there are other brothers and sisters who try to do this in their dawah, Mm. But a hadith disciple, we try our best to yeah. make this the core vertebrae. It's a noble, that, um, noble endeavor, mashallah. May Allah give you guys uh, tawfiq. Amen. Salam, guys. Sorry to butt in, eh? but if you're enjoying this podcast, please head over to islamtrinity.com forward slash donate to help us make more. And if you're not enjoying it, head over anyway and help us make better ones. Arguably, that's what. I mean, striking that balance, right, is very important. And, and I suppose in each each city, each time and place, people are going to have to do that. And scholars in particular are going to have to think about these things themselves because they say, um, I think it was Professor Sherman Jackson, I, I heard him saying, um, uh, when when a, a minority uh, is exposed to a, uh, a, a wider kind of culture or wider set of norms and so forth, then there there tends to be two a spectrum between two extremes. One is what mm-hmm. he calls um cultural promiscuity, where you just accept anything and everything. Uh and one the other side is uh cultural nativism where you where you put too much uh you know emphasis on the the food, the clothing and, and some of the norms and so forth. Um mm-hmm. and I suppose mm-hmm. I think it requires it's a scholarly discussion um, that requires you know ijtihad and, and, and ifta to Indeed. see you know these things you know we can we can accept uh, it's similar to the whole integration debate you know uh, what does it mean to meaningfully integrate does it mean to assimilate and completely lose your your flavor of your your values your your identity or does it mean to kind of live in a bubble and I think uh, Muslim a lot of Muslims and minorities when they want to hold fast to their deen um in kind of contradistinction to the the other extreme the kind of cultural promiscuity just accepting everything um assimilating losing your values and identity we might sometimes go to the opposite extreme and kind of um build a bubble around us and on, on in in the internet age it's even easier to build that bubble now because it's it's algorithmic you know it's uh, you can, based on your Google search history, based on your YouTube, you know, previous videos that you watched, based on you know, your Facebook likes and friends and commenting history and stuff, you can only be um, exposed to a very particular um, worldview, right? This is politically, mm-hmm. it can be in your sports clubs that you support, and it can be Islamically as well. And one, one question I ask um, almost all of our guests is, how do you think, um artificial intelligence how do you think the internet age how do you think that's actually changing how we view and learn uh, uh, and talk about islam there's no doubt about that and uh, i think that if someone can't see that or they're just beginning to see that then they've already lost mm. the game it's over it's over it's, it's you're, you're too late in the game to understand that for good or for bad an example of this is popularity. Yeah. A person 
of course, popularity is always popularity. A celebrity is always a celebrity. But it's nothing like the internet. You could be in your home, in your basement. Okay? 20, 30 years ago, a quarantine such as now would be a disaster to someone's uh, publicity. But I could be in my basement with technology, once again, mm-hmm. with the best cameras and audio devices. And I can speak to millions of people around the world. Yeah. And I can be compensated for my time. I could be honored and valued and cherished and hero worshipped. So I think one of the uh, examples of the impact of the media and uh, the internet on Islamic thought and view and dawah mm. is the is the is the, the intoxication of the popularity. Mm. And and it allows no doubt your fans and your viewers they will have a profound effect on you. And we've seen that. May Allah protect us from that. In which certain popularity, certain mainstream doors are open for certain people. And they just go with the flow. Mm. And that, 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 that's, just, that's the name of the game. And that's only one example, let alone the ability for people to come across your speech, the people to uh, 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 influence you negatively through criticizing you, through finding fault in you, through interpreting your speech, and then you're forced into a corner. No, I didn't really mean it like that. Or I didn't really want to say it like that. But you did yeah. say it, and you didn't mean it like that. So I, I think that that's I don't think that's an issue of discussion and how the access that we have to so many people so easily, it has an effect upon uh, how and what we say about Islam in general, mm. in general, mm. for sure. I mean, for example, um, the other day I was looking at just a short video on Facebook from uh, from Islam Trinity that we that one of the brothers made. Um, and it's just a very beneficial video, you know, j- just about. How to, you know, um, something about Quran, right? Introducing Quran to children and, you know, um, looking for selective ayat. Very beneficial video. But then, uh, after the video finished, it suggested another one, right? And the algorithms, they do this just to kind of fish, kind of see what bites, right? With this person, you know, what, what, what is he or she likely to click on? And because they're trying to increase one thing, right? The time you spent on that, on that, uh, platform. And I saw a video which was just uh, very, very, uh, you know, harmful, very bad, basically, you know, just a Muslim kind of uh, refuting uh, uh, and, and, and you know, uh, showing kind of clear animosity to people, fellow Muslims in the Dawah and so forth, over, over very relatively minor kind of ishtihadi issues, right? Mm-hmm. So something that would have, um, I mean, historically in, in, amongst circles of knowledge would, would have been completely kind of, ostracized and, and, and pushed to the side you know this type of um ghulu, this kind of excess in making inkar in masail al you know make condemning people for just following different opinions for them but then i thought i saw myself kind of uh it's you know in the uk we have an expression called rubbernecking i don't know if you guys have this like when you're when you're driving along and you see an accident on the other side of the motorway you 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 know your 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 eyes are kind of stuck to that. We call that rubber right, right, that that, that right. primal urge to see that kind of car crash, right? That's right. So, that's right. And I was hooked, right? Because it was appealing to a very primal kind of base instinct in the nafs, right? Just to just to see this kind of whether it's gossip or just a, a, a train wreck. That's right. The innate love for it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and and I was thinking, and I saw this thing had thousands and thousands of views and people commenting and. You know, it was polarizing. Some people were very pro, uh, some people very uh, kind of anti. And I was thinking this must be changing 
uh, the the way that younger people who are growing up in the in the digital age, it's changing how we approach Islam. As you know, you have to be part of, uh, you have to take you know a position on on these polarizing issues. You have to, you know, your your popularity comes with. I mean, I know today if I, on a Islam trans, yeah, if I put something beneficial out, you might get maybe what a few hundred people uh, press like. If I put something out that's attacking someone else, you'll get thousands of people. <laughs> You know, uh, and 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 that's unfortunately the the, and I, and, I, and I wrote something about this, just a brief post about you know how artificial intelligence could be creating a new madhab, right? Because um, you know if you're if you're a right wing person, for example, and you and you search for a, and you Google a very simple question, you know, uh, you'll get mm-hmm. answers based on your previous search history and your the the website you look right. and so forth. And I'm thinking that's likewise right. Islamically. Um, if you're of a particular school of thought and you ask a question to Google, that's what we do now. You know, if we want to know something, we ask that's Google. That's right. Uh, it's going to give you things based on your own bubble that you've created for yourself. And I'm thinking, you know, how, and I really like what uh, Hadith Disciple is doing, the, 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 your organization, and that is trying to go back to the the pre using the 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 technology to go back to the pre technology um, archetype of disciplehood. Or discipleship, right? Of, um, of tarbiyah, of of nurturing, of a, a you know a master again kind of being on a path to a, a type of mastery, right? And this is something I think we're losing in the age of artificial intelligence, in the age of algorithms, social media, uh, and so forth. Unfortunately, there's no doubt about that. Allah I mean, one of the uh, one of our guests um, a few weeks ago, Doctor Yaqub Ahmed, right, an historian, he he mentioned something in passing that you know our parents' generation um, in in who lived in uh, kind of Muslim majority societies, they acquired Islam through osmosis, right? That was mm-hmm. a very powerful metaphor, right? That it was just there; it was part of the the, the fabric of society. And mm-hmm. I was wondering how we can, for our younger brothers and sisters on on mass, right? How we can empower them not to just um, survive despite being Muslim, but actually thrive uh, as believers, as you know, as salihin, as siddiqin, and 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 so forth. And so, yeah. s- seeking knowledge is one thing that you're. Um, that you know your dawah is built building in terms of tulab ilm and so forth but what what is what are your views about the general dawah to non kind of talib ilm non students of knowledge uh, young muslims i mean how what is your vision for for reaching them empowering them giving them a sense of worth a sense of honor giving them a sense mm. of estimation uh and not just oh you're there or people say, "How do I survive teenagers or cope with teenagers?" That that negativity is uh, is tangible. People can mm. feel it, and it's not the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu When the Messenger of Allah would speak to children, oftentimes he would speak to them with terms of endearment. He would give them value. He would give them respect, and he would put in their minds that it's not about today, but it's about tomorrow. Mm. So this is one of the most commonly or frequently mentioned problems and complaints of the youth. The Prophet sallallahu he said, Ya Aba Umair, ma fa'ala nughayr. The Prophet sallallahu he said, Ya Ghulam, inni mu'allimu ka kalimant. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's daughter, Umm Kulthum, 
Okay? The Prophet Sallallahu he said that either Hassan or Hussein, Ama alimta anahu la ta'idunana sadaqa. Bakhin. So he said, he called the young companion by his kunya, and he had no children. Yeah. His daughter, Umm Kuthum, didn't have a daughter. Okay? Mm. He called Ibn Abbas, who was barely in puberty when the time the Prophet died. And FYI, mm. as a side benefit, that's a tremendous lesson for our youth. Abdullah ibn Abbas was one of the grand masters of the companions and hadith and fiqh and tafsir. So mm. much knowledge he had. And when the Messenger of Allah left the companions, he was barely in puberty. Subhanallah. Mm. Barely in puberty. Meaning that he soaked up the knowledge from the Prophet. He received the dua from the Prophet. But then he went on and he took all the ilm from the Sahaba. Mm. And the hadith, when the Prophet was praying at Mina, uh, and he was upon the she donkey, he said, I was just going to puberty at that time. And that was towards the end of the Prophet's blessed life. So with that being said, he didn't call Ibn Abbas a boy, but he called him a young man. Ya Ghulam. Mm. He gave him a sense of, of, of respect. The Prophet, he says, Those who are not merciful to the youth. Uh, the Prophet, he put Usama ibn Zayd in charge of an army. Yeah. And he says, I love Usama. Those who, they, they, they should love him as well. And there's so many other authentic hadiths mm. in which the Prophet, والسلام, he brought the youth close by. The young man who wanted to go make zina, okay? And that, that's a tremendous hadith, the hadith of Abu Umama and the Muslim Ahmed. He says, Ya Rasulullah, idhanni bi zina. Allow me to make zina. Stop and think about this. And ponder on this. <laughs> a person is afraid. They're scared. I want you to legislate zina for me. And the companions, of course, they looked at him. They made noise. Mah, mah. What's wrong with you? How dare you? And the Prophet, sallam, with his wisdom, the cutting edge of his tarbiyah, he did the opposite. He said, come close, come sit next to me. Mm. And then he asked the boy critical questions that made him get the point himself. Instead of saying, it's haram, you can't do it. I want you to understand it. Mm. I'm not going to give you the sadaqah. I'm going to give you the capital to start your own business. Allah do you Allah. like it for your mother? Do you like it for your sister? Do you like it for your daughter? Do you like it for your aunt? Of course, the young man, even though he had some desires and lust. He had a good fitra. He says, of course I don't. I don't. Of course. And then the prophet, he says, nor do the people like it for their women. Don't mm -hmm. do it to others. And at the end of that hadith, the prophet says, he placed his hands upon the, 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 upon the boy's head and he made to offer him. He asked Allah to purify his heart and to protect his private parts. And after that, the young man was straight as an arrow. So the point is, in our masjid, not even zina, something more simple, something basic. We will banish the youth, kick them out. Speak down to them. You don't understand. You're foolish. Astaghfirullah. And when I live in back home in this Muslim country, like you said, osmosis. When I live in a place in which it's just sheer infection, it's everywhere. We're living in the West. There are temptations. There are desires. There's college. There's so much pulling and grabbing towards the haram and towards the doubt about Islam. So we have to realize that we, we have to be in the night ta'ala, cater to the youth, and make them feel important. Yeah, Make, give them the sense of, of worth. Give them responsibility. You, you know, give them responsibility. Right. Give them a sense of uh, importance, of sense of self worth. Yeah. Uh, That's right. And it's not just in the time of the Prophet وسلم, Even you know, a few centuries ago. That, I mean, we're looking at the Hagia Sophia kind of uh, victory recently. Muhammad Fatih right. was like 20, right. 21 years old or something. You know, That's right. That's he right. Conquered That's uh, right. Constantinople. So. 
right. This is something that a lot of people kind of complain about um, today, and that is kind of the disappearance of manhood. When uh, young boys, they get older and older, they just become bigger and bigger boys rather than, uh, you know, uh, manhood. And one of the ways to prevent this is to actually give them... Give them a mistake. Give them um, responsibilities and, and and jobs to do, even though they'll make mistakes. And through That's mistakes, right. we right. learn and, um, and 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 mature. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Salam, guys. Me again, reminding you to head over to Islam21c.com forward slash donate to keep the lights on on Islam21c. We pride ourselves on being independent and being funded by the grassroots community. Um. So. In in the in your in your dawah in your kind of upbringing personally, who are the who are the people who who you look, you've looked up to who've kind of bestowed this um, type of thinking uh, upon you, and people you mm. kind of go back to and people you look up to either in terms of in terms of knowledge or in terms of just uh, advice and tarbiyah and so forth. Clear. Yes. So it's been a long journey, and uh, to be honest, the journey isn't over yet. But um, when I was younger, I had many different influential people in my life, directly or indirectly. And of course, at the head of them was my father. Mm. Uh, my father, he influenced me directly when I was with him in my presence. And when he wasn't there and I was not in my presence, he influenced me indirectly. Mm. Okay. And uh, I've mentioned this story a few times before. Uh, my father, he passed away from cancer. Oh, and um, I remember... Before he passed away, the summer before I knew that he had cancer, he shared something with me. Okay, two two gems, and obviously my father he was a um, he he was a man of many talents, many arts, and from them was martial arts, and that's one of the reasons why I like martial arts so mm. much in the Eastern thought, not the shit stuff, <laughs> not the nonsense. Yeah, because a lot of people get caught up. Always good to know. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about yeah, the, the stuff right. that's in line with Islam. Yeah. So he shared with me a statement of a famous martial artist, I won't mention his name, and a famous martial art philosopher. And that statement was, he said, research yourself, accept what is wholesome, discard what is useless, and ultimately build your own. Mm. And then he said to me, he said that nine out of 10 great men in history, uh, and of course great women as well, but he, he said men in history that were great, no matter how great they were, he said, somewhere down the line, you'll find that their fathers set them up for greatness, directly or indirectly. And I didn't understand exactly what he said. I didn't get everything. But when I found out that he was sick and he was dying and he passed away, then I understood what he was saying. And he was basically telling me that once you have reached down, how you've exceeded me, dreams that I had, you've actually accomplished them and you're still young. It's from Allah first and foremost. Mm. But all of the time that we spoke and we talk and the time that we didn't speak and we didn't talk, the books that were just in the household. I grew up in a household full of books. And like I said, when my father wasn't there, the library was always intimidating. Huge wooden libraries full of all types of books, Arabic books, uh, a photo album from Hajj, books on martial arts, books on everything. And I was influenced by him even when he wasn't there to do it directly. So... That's that's first and foremost, and this is a very important lesson, and that's because many brothers, of course, they have to travel, they have to work, they get divorced, they go through custody issues, there are problems in life with the black, the red, the yellow, and the green. 
but it's no excuse why you cannot plant the seed for your son or daughter's mind. That's the point. And that's what he was trying to tell me is that even when you thought I wasn't there supporting you, I was. Even when you thought I wasn't. And that, and it took me years to understand that. When I was younger than that, years, when I was maybe 13 years old, he told me a statement of Imam Shafi that stood with me for the rest of my life. And that he said it in Arabic. And that's the statement of Al-Waqtuka Saif. Illam taqta'hu Time is like a sharp sword. If you don't use it to cut, it'll be used to cut you. So uh, at the top of the list of those who influenced me directly and indirectly, I have to be just, was my father, of course. That's first and foremost. All right. Also, it was a very influential brother, um, brother named Mujahid in my city in Philadelphia. He was a barber. And I started working in the barbershop when I was 11 years old. It's my first, my first job. And uh, he was a father figure to me. Uh, he showed me the ropes of cutting hair, running the, the barbershop, maintaining the business, customer relations. And that's when I developed the skill of listening to people and listening to people's problems and not judging people and allowing people to feel comfortable with you. And that's the core essence of nasiha yeah. is listening and speaking when you need to speak and being there for people, so on and so forth. I think uh, the, bar- I, I hear the barbershop is an iconic kind of uh, for sure. place in many cultures. For sure. <laughs> for good or for yeah. bad. And I saw so many things in that place. But uh, he definitely helped me. And, of course, there were many, many old, uh, older brothers that believed in me. It's too many of them to mention their names. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about real-life figures in which they either directly pushed me, directly believed in me, and some of them even indirectly pushed me with negativity. Yeah. I had older brothers who told me that you're not going to do it. You can't do it. You're not good enough. All right? Stop doing this. You shouldn't study this. Well, I did. And I thank them to this day. They pushed me to have more <laughs> hunger. And of course, the different figures in history. You mentioned Muhammad Fatih. Yeah. And of course, yani, FYI, yani, that's just an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Okay, Constantinople, what happened, what took place, the struggles. And it was no fall of Byzantine or the Byzantium. There was the rise of Constantinople. Nothing fell in 1453. Mm-hmm. It only rose, all right? So there were many people directly and indirectly who influenced me in different ways. I had people influence me with Arabic, with studying overseas. Can't forget Brother Musa. He was the one who inspired me to go to Medina. He's the one who believed in me and he saw my talent from a young age. Well, alhamdulillah. Musa. And there were many other. Brother Musa from Philadelphia, okay? okay. Um, he studied in the College of Hadith and he was one of my closest friends. He was my best friend and he was my teacher, my mentor. And I wanted to study Islam when I met him. But he's the one who impregnated my mind with Medina. Mm. And he was a living, walking, talking student of Hadith. And I looked up to him so much. Yeah. So there were many people who influenced me, as I said, directly yeah. and indirectly. Figures of history. I always loved history. And that's why we always try to mention stories, ancient stories. And tell the people that you don't have to be stuck in a city. You don't have to be stuck in a town. You don't have to be stuck in a race. The world is large. It's vast. But you have to have the ability to see it. So that's what happened to me when I was younger. And um, when I didn't have no one to talk to or I didn't have someone to school me and coach me, my book was my companion. Mm. And I love to read the Atlas. I love, even to this day, I love looking at the Atlas and looking at those countries and dreaming about those countries. And alhamdulillah, I've been to many of those countries, many of those continents that were in my wildest of dreams when I was younger. And it all started from a young age. 
Mashallah. Our Sheikh, he always tells us, he says, put, I haven't done this yet, <laughs> but he says, put where you're working and your, and your desk, put a picture of the whole globe, right? So it just forces you to, to, to think big, to That's think right. macro, to think mm -hmm. uh, you know, international mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're doing things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So what about historically in terms of uh, scholars that you love to read? Um, are there any, any that kind of uh, For sure. In, in, For sure. influenced you? And there's no one like Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim. Mm. Hands down. Mm. Period. In, mm. in my book. Uh, Allah knows best how much they've influenced me in all affairs. From tafsir, hadith, aqidah, and also just yeah. the courage. And we read about Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim, but I really don't think that we get the point that they were basically, they were outlaws. <laughs> they were outlaws. They were. Yeah. They were minorities, and they refused to go with that which they didn't believe in, whether they were right or wrong. The point is, is that that scholastic courage, yeah. it definitely touched my heart. And you can't be afraid and scared what someone is going to say. Yeah. You have to have the courage. So if I had to pick any scholar that influenced me uh, on such a large, grand scale, it's definitely Ibn Taymiyyah and his people, Ibn Al-Qayyim. Mm. Of course, uh, Imam Ahmed was brave. He was tortured. And when we read the story of Imam Ahmed, it's not just about him getting whipped and him being having his shoulders dislocated. And it's, it's deeper than that. Imam Ahmed, there were other imams that refused to take the uh, concession to say that the Quran was created. There are other imams that refused. Mm -hmm. We know most of them, many of them, they fell into it. Okay, except for those who are coerced. The permissibility of saying a statement of comfort if you're forced. Many imams, they took that ruksa. Mm -hmm. But many imams, they didn't. And the imams that didn't take it, they were either killed or they died. So before Imam Ahmed had the physical toughness and strength, he had the spiritual and mental fortitude to outlast his enemies. Mm -hmm. And that I'm not going to give my enemies the satisfaction by saying Ahmed gave in and quit. That's I'm impactful. Not. Way before he was even beaten, before he was even locked up. Just the sheer fact that I'm not scared, I'm not intimidated, I'm not afraid of you. The worst you can do is take my blood. That's it. It's so those those stories of Imam Ahmed and his firmness it had a, a tremendous effect upon me. Mm -hmm. Last but but not least, Imam Al Bukhari for sure. Mm -hmm. And one of the striking features of Imam Al Bukhari is that he was a youth. He was a young man. And the first book that he wrote, he was 18 years old, 18, wow. 19 years old. He was a very young man. Um, so that gave me the idea that there is no limit to greatness. Mm. There's no age limit. There's no race. There's no sex. There's no gender. And uh, these things, no doubt, they plague the Dawah scene today. And they plague Islamic scholarship, in my humble opinion. What things? Uh, the stereotypes mm. of you're too young or you're too old. And of course, from the greatest of the scholars uh, of that century was Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah. Whether you agree with him or not, whether you like him or not, but he was an eruded alim. And Ibn yeah. Hazm, we know that he wasn't like many other scholars that came from lineage of slavery. Many of the of the tabi'in, many of the salaf, they were came from Mawali. Yeah. Okay. Ibn Hazm was from the nobility. He was an aristocrat mm. in Andalus or Andalusia. So the story of Ibn Hazm, one day he was in the mosque and he was offering prayer, and of course he was the son of the grand vizier. He had money, he had influence, he had power. Okay, Allah, he could have been wearing pure silk, who knows? So he made salah, 
And after he finished the Salat, a peasant man walked up to him. A peasant. Dirty, scruffy, disheveled, bum-looking type of guy, we would say. And he started laughing at him. <laughs> Look at you. So Ibn Hazm, he turned around like, how dare you? How dare you, you know, talk to me like this? He said, you're the son of the vizier. You have all of this money, all of this power. He says, you can't even pray. <laughs> I know how to make prayer better than you. So obviously Ibn Hazm, he became impulsive. And of course, he could have called his guards, his sentries, behead this filthy, despicable peasant immediately. But he did. He stopped. And he thought about how those true words cut him deep. I have access to so much knowledge. I have so much free time. I'm not a slave. I'm not selling potatoes and cabbage in the marketplace. I'm not a, a, a cupper sucking people's blood out of their veins. I'm from nobility, and I can't even pray correctly. And that offense and that disrespect, but it was true. That was the rocket fuel that pushed him to be from the greatest of the scholars of what's correct and what's incorrect, what is agreed upon, and of which the people differ. So the moral of the story is, the moral of the story is, is that there are many stereotypes and prejudices that we have. You're too old to seek knowledge. That's one. I'm too old. I can't study. Or you're too young to be an imam or a scholar. Or you're a race. Or a woman. Very, very important. I've had many students that were females over the years. And I think one of the saddest things that I've seen is not an attack on sisters, but I'm only speaking the truth. One of the saddest things is that most women that study seek knowledge they fall victim to the stereotype that a woman isn't to seek knowledge. She shouldn't, she shouldn't seek knowledge. You can't, she can't seek knowledge. And when a woman quits the class, drops out of the class, allows some type of scandal or something to take you away from your teacher, you do nothing but fan the fuel of that stereotype. So these are things that, that plague the Dawah scene today. And people thinking, and they don't realize that it's in your head. I can't because I'm from Philadelphia. Because I'm too young. Because I come from this lineage. And that's the reality where I come from in America, being black. There's no doubt about that. Okay? And that is, that is what pushed certain people to uh, uh, say certain things, which they say. Which a, a person says, I have the blood of a slave, but I have the heart of a king. Okay? In other words, no one can form for you what you can and cannot do. You seek Allah's bounty. What's Allah min fadlihi? You ask Allah from his bounty. You seek it. No one can stop you what you can and cannot do. So these different things, uh, these different scholars, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, Al-Bukhari, they showed me that these stereotypes can what? They can be snapped. They can be broken. Mashallah. But you got to have the ability to do it. Mashallah. Mashallah. I mean, uh, you mentioned And of course, a few th there are many others as well. Yeah. You mentioned a few of the, uh, the, the, the problems that you're saying plague the dawah. Um, no doubt one of them and uh, I hear that uh, Philadelphia is is uh, maybe one of the hotspots <laughs> for this. Right. And that is uh, kind of uh, refutations and uh, kind of bad blood between uh, fellow Muslims. How do you, in your dawah, I mean, you're not in Philadelphia anymore, you're in New York, right? Well, I still have classes in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, so, um, you, how, do you, how do you approach this? How do you approach this malady uh, of kind of re this refutations culture and... Uh, I suppose uh, the, the the online medium is... is Blame it all on the redcoats. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> the lobster backs, they call them in the Revolutionary War, the British. Mm. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah it's, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> Obviously, it's truth to it. We in America, we're just 
we're disciples of you guys. That's the bitter reality. We've been blindly following and imitating and mimicking and copycatting your culture of refutation. And it's deeper than refutation. Many people, of course, unnecessary refutations, like you mentioned, but it's deeper than that. We're talking about people running and maintaining the spirituality of the lives of thousands who have never formally studied Islam. That's the core issue. If there were students of knowledge who graduated, who studied, actual scholars of Islam that refuted each other on points in a certain way, there are, ex like you said, an excess. There are things that are bad in that, but it wouldn't be as bad as a jahil, a juwahil, a person who has never studied anywhere, mandating, dictating, and telling the people up, down, right, or left. That's the uh -huh. core of the issue. Uh -huh. And the moment we keep dancing around that, we aren't going to get anywhere. This brother, and obviously, I won't mention any names right now, he has no business in front of a microphone, period. Yeah. And him touching a microphone and speaking about the Salaf is a disgrace and is ultimate shame. One of the problems with um, ignorance, though, is, is it can be compounded. Um, so somebody might be speaking... Um, thinking that you know um they know what they're talking about thinking that wait i'm just relaying you know what such and such scholar said and what uh why what, what i understood from this ayah or this hadith not knowing that even that process itself requires some level of uh background can't accept it can't accept that mm. impossible the way of the salaf is based off of knowledge mm. that's the legacy of bukhari if you love them so much why not imitate them and go study Absolutely. Yeah. Some people have that excuse, but the evil heads, they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, they know what they're doing. Probably. It's a program. It's a system. Yeah. So the point is, is that no doubt, Philadelphia, we have taken your guys, your teachings, uh, as you said, disciplehood, discipleship, and it's a fact. <laughs> and you have to understand that it is a fact. Okay, See, uh, people in Britain, uh, anytime you tell me, uh, you know, why are you so harsh on us? Yeah, that's why one of the reasons, because other people are, if you if you start acting like uh, an ignoramus, then uh, other people are going to be, uh, the Americans are going to be, you know, uh, copying and following. So. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. So the concept of um, we've taken what you guys have produced mm -hmm. and then we added our own American flavor to it, no doubt. Our own Philadelphian flavor to it. And we've taken our own cultural, financial, economic, whatever problems we have, and we've added it to the mix, to the stew as well. So Philadelphia, no doubt, um, it's, it's a paradoxical city, the amount of Muslims there. Well, like, from the moment you come to Philadelphia, you leave, you're going to see Muslims. Wow. People want to give you salams. You have to see it to believe it, okay? And uh, the You guys are famous for your cheesesteaks, right? You got to have a cheesesteak before you die. Inshallah. Halal, halal ones, yeah. Yes, this is one of the seven wonders of the world. Bidden in that. <laughs> so, After with that lockdown, being said, um, no doubt, I was, it, it's a fact, is that I was I was caught up in this. And maybe even to this day, Yusuf said, I can't free myself. Okay, so, um, the amount of chaos and mayhem and ignorance and haphazardness yeah. is uncanny. I would say in North America.
let alone the United States. All right. And um, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm happy and I'm proud that I was once caught up in it and I don't hide it and I don't run from it. Mm-hmm. And that's because it made me what I am. It gave me the strength and it allowed me to see it for what it is. And people that talk about Hadith Disciple, MashaAllah, Hadith Disciple, these things were made Hadith Disciple. Is that I myself was in those classes. I was listening to those brothers. I was following them. I looked up to them. I admired them. I benefited from them, alhamdulillah. But I saw certain things. And as I learned and as I studied and as I read, mm-hmm. I was just, you know, it just couldn't enter my head. Like, what did you just say? What are you saying? And I made a vow to myself and a promise to Allah is that as long as the blood is warm in my veins, I'm going to fight against it. <laughs> Mashallah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if of... I'm going to be ostracized or mm. whatever, then so be it. So mm. those things, they, they, they it, it made me what I am, alhamdulillah. Assalamualaikum guys. Last reminder, I promise. Head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to help this movement get to the next level. So we have genuine, high quality media articulating Islam in the 21st century and developing confident Muslims impacting the world for the better. So what, how do you practically go about kind of, um, um, kind of uh, undoing the damage that this type of uh, the bad blood that this causes this kind of refutation c- culture causes amongst uh, brothers and sisters i mean it's Clear. easy to kind of just distance oneself and you know become an uh, an opponent opponent of that kind of behavior but um is there some kind of uh method that you you, you, sure. you can think about For to sure. kind of undo the damage For sure. Yeah. Over the years, I've developed different principles and a process and step a system. Mm. And I think the first step is you must acknowledge and you must see it for what it is. You must see it for what it is. And you can't dance around it. And some of the dancing we say, oh, the brothers are a little harsh. Or others, they say the brothers, they're, they're misrepresenting the scholars. The scholars don't say that. Sheikh Fulan, he didn't say that. Or the brothers, they need to have more unity. That's all on the surface. Mm. The core of it is made to split and to divide. The core of it is made to take a select few and put them at the elite. And everyone else is beneath them to serve their worldly and material gains and desires mm. of money, of womenizing, of power, of status, of control of people without giving them any real cultivation. You have to see it for what it is. Uh, and there are other aspects and dimensions as well, even when it comes to race. And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but you have to see it for what it is. Would this be acceptable in another country? Would this be acceptable in another race? Mm. Would this happen in another? Of course it would not. So you have to recognize that what's going on here is totally foul. The smell is putrid and fetid. It's it, it is not a pleasant. Aroma. I mean the the, the underlying the underlying um, disease though of um, that 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 pushes some people towards this type of uh, behavior, re- refuting uh, you know uh, and disuniting Muslims and so forth. I think that that can exist in in different cultures around the world. I mean, it's more of like sure. a, a mindset. It's more of like a, maybe a personality type as well that that lends itself to being used. We're by talking about now. With... I, I understand and I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about. With regards to leadership. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Something specific. And I, like I said, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. When you're talking about Philadelphia 
in other parts of the United States, yeah. uh, in which there is a paradoxical dynamic of power. And it cannot be ignored. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be ignored. It, it's, a, it's not an elephant. It's a blue yeah. whale in the middle of the room. <laughs> and you have to see it as such. Yeah. So the first step, my advice, is that you got to see it. In the last 20 years, what has happened to me, my community, my family, and my children? By me listening to this brother, following this brother, giving this brother all of my money, marrying this brother to all of my women, what has happened to me? Have I got close to a law? Have I actually learned something? Mm -hmm. Is my community in a better shape than when this brother came or in a worse shape? These are the hardcore questions. And you have to realize that you have been exploited. You have been used. Mm -hmm. And you've been in a cult, in a gang. And I you think, didn't even realize it. I think cult is a, is a, is a, a useful metaphor. Um, no doubt about that. Isolationism. Um, yeah. The concept of a rigid, a, 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 a strict set of rigid rules from how you speak to dress code to the T. And it becomes all of the parallels of cults apply. It becomes paradigmatic as well because it, they teach you how to interpret attacks against themselves to, right. to actually interpret right. and saying, well, if we're being attacked, that must mean we're, we're upon the truth and people, you know, That's people right. who are misguided hate the, you know, people upon the truth and so forth. Uh, and you have time. to see that. And that can only be seen in all those best through sincerity. Yeah. Uh, and the Prophet Sallallahu before you mm -hmm. sleep, he would invoke Allah, the Lord of Jibreel, the Lord of Mikael, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he would ask Allah to guide mm -hmm. him how many of us make that supplication? And this is the prophet. Okay, how many of how many of us have that type of sincerity? Yeah. And how many of us are using the common sense of Salman and Fantasy? There's no way that these people are, are the chosen people. Look what they're doing. There's no way this is the way of Islam. This is the Sunnah. And look at look at these people's behavior. Look at their agenda. Look at their indoctrination. Also, point number three is, is fundamentals of the religion. There are many types of misguidance and cult indoctrination that can be prevented through sheer, sound, fundamental knowledge of Islam. Mm. It's no way that this can be from Islam because of the basic ABCs of Islam. I think, right? also, I think also having having face-to-face uh, -face kind of uh, communication and connections with people you, you're told that, the, that are the other, that are misguided and so forth because For sure. you know the the iman uh, from that person's heart you know it, it will manifest in, in even in a metaphysical way that you know you can't hate someone who is you see uh, symbols of islam on them they're praying they they you know they 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 appear to love allah the benefit that is clearly uh mm. emanating from them for sure yeah. for sure and that just and and also the opposite reflection as well of the hypocrisy of them okay their main principle don't listen to people of innovations. Yeah. Don't, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen. Okay, no problem. Play it. However, every single statement, opinion, interview, class, lecture, you listen to. Mm. How do you know that he said it? And you repeated him 10 years ago. Why are you still listening to him? He's an innovator. He's misguided. He's misled. Why are you still obsessed with him, following him as every movement? Because... So we can't listen to them, but you can. Something's wrong. Mm. I think Something some people, some wrong. people's dawah, they, um, our sheikh, he, uh, he, he frequently reminds us, have a dawah that builds, not dawah that burns. Some people, their dawah requires uh, the refutation of others and the putting down of others. But 
if you know you should try and um have a dawah that builds something that what is what is it that you're actually calling towards you know something productive something that's the way of the Quran al muslimin brother <laughs> that's what they'll say yeah. that statement of produ uh, producing and constructing is the way of the Ikhwan. Yeah. the indoctrination you can you you have to use the common sense how can for a person to say we build and don't destroy how can that be against the tenets <laughs> of Islam? Yeah, that's where that's where the, the the term cult comes into play, you know, and brainwashing and that kind of stuff. Like, let's talk about something that that doesn't wind you up probably that much. Uh, something a bit lighter. Um, racism. Uh, you spoke about racism. Um, you know, in 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 recent few uh, weeks and months, we've had the 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 killing of George Floyd that's shone a light on uh, systemic problems in the USA and and uh, and the rest of the world. Um, how did you react when you saw uh, the killing of George Floyd and and the kind of subsequent Black Lives Matter uh, movement coming to the fore again? Clear. Well, like I said before, and I'll say again, uh, we don't want to get into world politics or world history mm. right now. But racism, colorism, prejudice, that's one of the cornerstones of the American society. Yeah. And mm. the moment we don't know this, and the moment that we don't accept this and study this, it's just going to keep repeating itself. Mm. There's going to be another killing, another lynching. More, it's just, I mean, everything about American history is based off of that. Now, I'm not mm. going to take you too deep, but I'm going to mention something about one of the most common and widespread uh, scourges or vices of the modern world. Drugs, mm. guns, gang violence, right? Mm. If you look at the history of the United States, I challenge you, don't take this from me. I guarantee that every single rule and bylaw, every piece of constitution from state to state, federal, etc., about drugs, about guns, about incarceration, the penal system, I guarantee you is that it's based off of racial inequality. Mm. Go ahead, read it. You'll see. And it's not just black-white. We can go deeper than that with regards to the indigenous people of the United States, of North America. It's not just a black-and-white thing. When we talk about, look at the, one of the greatest stereotypes in America today is people look down upon Mexicans. Our president, unfortunately, and they systematically blame Mexicans for bringing in drugs, bringing in cocaine, practicing violence. They systematically call Mexicans aliens. And foreigners. Are even though Mexico was, even though a lot of the <laughs> United States came how, to Mexico rather was, than the other way around. That's right. How was Texas obtained? Yeah. Las Vegas. Uh, there's a state called New Mexico, mm. and one of the most shameful uh, parts of United States history is the the annexing of California. Read about it. Study about it. Mm. And then it goes to show you how so many people were forced to be American citizens without being American citizens overnight. And that led to the forming of the gang culture. Yeah. Not saying that there aren't any Mexican people that don't do crimes. I'm not saying that. There are black people who do crimes. There are white people who do crimes. We, under any circumstance, are justifying wrong. Mm. And we're not trying to pacify is that there are people who do wrong. This is a fact. No. But we're talking about the whole entire legal system is based off of inequality. Read the history of cocaine 
in the United States and how it was allowed for white Americans to take it, to use it, because they were responsible with it. They could control their addiction. But blacks, Mexicans, Indians, no, they were not allowed to drink. They were not allowed to take this because they were savages. They were inhumane. So the point I'm trying to get to, a shahid, yani, the maqsood is, not to go too far to the right or to the left, is that racial inequality in the legal system is like brown on rice. They cannot be separated. Mm. That's how it is. That's how it always was. So the people, they have to read the history and they have to attack the core to come out with a result. A protest, uh, a boycotting, a person shooting this person, people beating up this police officer, burning this building on fire. It brings certain results. Certain things mm. can change, but you have to go deeper than that. And it's one of the core values of Hadith Disciple is that you got to scratch beneath the surface. Mm. Would you, you agree that um, white supremacy is one of the um, greatest false idols of our time? There's no question about that. Mm. And there'll be billions of dollars spent and there'll be loads and loads of scholars, entertainers, actors, athletes, educators that will be brought and forced to uh, continue and further that myth. Yeah. And obviously the term supremacy, uh, I personally feel is a very sticky term. And oftentimes it's vague. Me personally, one of my greatest pet peeves is inaccuracy, historical inaccuracy. Yeah. And one of my greatest pet peeves is people denying historical facts. I- I'm not with that. And many mm-hmm. people, when it comes to black, white, yellow, red, brown, they deny historical facts. What do you mean by supremacy? With regards to the military, with regards to certain things in which they were advanced. And the proof that they were advanced in certain things is history. They conquered. They won. Mm. But there are other aspects of supremacy and inferiority and superiority. So the point is, is the only thing I feel that can save us is pure, hardcore, unadulterated knowledge. Mm. And being honest and being transparent is that there is racial inequality and there are problems between different races and classes. It does exist. And in Islam, it exists. What I mean by that is the adherence of of Islam, the Muslims. Mm. So I think we need to talk about it. Bring it to the surface. And last but not least, I'll conclude my answer. I don't want to go too far. Is that when people turn a blind eye to racial inequality, they turn a blind eye to systematic Jim Crow racism, they themselves are forgetting their own history. Mm. And there isn't a people, we're talking about our mosques, the majority, where they come from, except that they were under that jackboot as well. If you come from Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, you can relate to it. Yeah. If you come from the continent of Africa, you can relate to it. If you're Scottish, you're Irish, you can relate to it. Okay. I think that's the thing with with um, white supremacy as a worldview and as a as a kind of a, a grand system, and that was it relied on giving a kind of divide and conquer and 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 setting um, people up along lines of their color of their skin, you know, uh, as a kind of hierarchy. Uh, I mean, the British Empire, for example got uh, indentured servants from the indian subcontinent to you know occupy a position above black people in in uh, some african uh, colonies uh, for example um so it's a sticky subject because uh many people uh, 
kind of historically benefited from white supremacy? Well, Zakmullah uh, Khairan Sheikh, it was very nice of you to join us, and uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have uh, for tonight. Zakmullahu Khairan. Hopefully, the podcast is a benefit for everyone, for ourselves, in this world and the next. Hopefully, it'll be a means of some type of clarification, some type of enlightenment for all of us. And being the night Ta'ala, maybe we can, you know, meet up or work together in the future. Being the night Ta'ala, my peace, my blessings, my salutations, my greetings to all Muslims in general, and specifically to the Hadith Disciple Nation. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you very much uh, again at home, you guys, for joining us who've been watching. Uh, if you've reached the end of this podcast, well done. You're awesome. Uh, if you like this podcast, give it a like and a share. Uh, remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. And, uh, click the uh, the bell uh, icon to get uh, at the front of the queue whenever we post anything uh, else on this channel. And also another reminder, we're also uh, available and the podcasts are also available in audio form wherever you get your podcast. So. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, all that kind of good stuff. So from myself and the Islam 21C team, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.